by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Yeehaw! Okay, okay. Holy cow! May I have your attention, please? Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Ah, uh, this is Craig Morgan. And you're listening to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. My Country 95.5. It's no secret that Wyoming is home to some of the greatest fishing and hunting in the world. Wow! It's colossal. It's stupendous. It's magnificent. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors on My Country 95.5. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors on My Country 95.5. Here we go, Janet, as we are rapidly approaching the end of January already, which means uh, we're getting closer and closer to March when uh, we have those open meetings with uh, with the public. And, uh, and one of the guys that is out doing a lot of the number crunching and number gathering is Justin Benfit, wildlife biologist. You guys have some information today. That's right, Drew. Um, Thanks for having us on and giving us the opportunity to talk to everyone about kind of what we do in the wintertime as wildlife biologists. And so um, with us, Justin is here to give us a little update about all the surveys that have been going on in the air, on the ground, all around the state. And then uh, hopefully we can give a little summary about. Justin, you guys have been uh, in a helicopter. You've been up and, and down for weeks now, kind of collecting data. How, what are you guys seeing from high above the ground? Ask me again in a couple of weeks. And and I just say that kind of tongue in cheek, Drew, because, you know, we're just in the middle of compiling all that stuff. So um, it really kind of just depends on where we're at, you know, in the fall and winter period with our various surveys, because we do several different types of surveys. So in fact, we've got a helicopter here in, in Casper at our compound right now, and we're, we're doing some some deer surveys right now as we speak. So we're still in the middle of compiling a lot of that information. When you guys are collecting this type of, of data, how does it really figure into the season settings? I mean, if you see low, low numbers, then that's low, low licenses? Yeah, that's certainly part of it. So, you know, our season setting process is really, it's a year-round process. It never ends. You know, we kind of start what we call the beginning of the biological year. So we'll call that early June, you know, beginning of June, that's when most of your fawns and calves and that sort of thing are hitting the ground. You know, we're out there during the summer months collecting habitat data in places, um, just getting a general feel for range conditions and what kind of forage production is out there and how good a body condition these animals are going to enter the winter in. And then then we go through those fall hunting seasons and we're out checking out, uh, you know, hunter harvested animals for body condition from talking to hundreds of hunters over the course of the fall, how seasons went, how they perceive seasons to have gone. As we get, you know, through the main deer and antelope seasons, get into that November time frame, that's when we start doing our deer flights. Um, we do that during the rut, you know, the breeding season. So when those big mature bucks come out and it helps us get a much more representative um, sample of how many buck deer out there. So that's when we do our sex and age ratio counts for deer. And then we do some winter elk flights. And then now we have these winter, what are called sightability flights. Then we feed all that information to our population models. We look and see how well hunters did through our harvest surveys, how many animals they harvested, what success rates were. Um, once we get a, a population estimate through our, our modeling processes and, and that sort of thing, it, it you know we kind of see where these populations are in relation to our management goals. And then we formulate our next year's season recommendations based on that. Do we want to allow for population growth? Do we need to try to decrease the population, kind of keep it the same? 
that sort of thing. And then that all culminates with a round of, uh, you know, public meetings, um, lots of landowner meetings, that sort of thing. So the whole public in process. And by the end of it, we have season recommendations for the next fall. Let's get back to the signability flights. You guys have been taking these flights. Basically break down what these signability flights do and and how they help in the, the counting of the, the herds. So, Drew, just as a reminder, um, these flight abilities are a little bit different than our normal flights that we do, just our normal classification flights. And so the site ability is pretty important. And, and I'll let Justin explain all the ins and outs, site abilities. Like Janet said, you know, we do kind of two main flights. Let's just take deer, for example, because that's what we're working on now and specifically mule deer. In November, during the rut, like I was saying, that's when we're getting our sex and age ratio data. So we find random groups of deer in these randomly sampled areas and and you know how many bucks um mature bucks yearling bucks and fawns do we have for every hundred does that are out there and th those ratios are really important to inform your population model but now we're doing um what are called sightability flights this time of year and it's really kind of a more recent thing it's really only been in the past decade that we've that we've started conducting these flights I really have to thank our Game and Fish Commission because our division chief, Rick King, pushed really hard to get this mule deer monitoring package in place. And our Game and Fish Commission stepped up to the table and they authorized two and a half million dollars over the next five years. So part of that monitoring package gave all of us a, a whole big boost to our flight budgets for these sightability flights. We, we really fly a herd really, really intensively with these randomly selected polygons, you know, so it's kind of a, a random sample, but we fly, in, in our case around Casper, the bulk of the herd. And we're, we're basically trying to physically count every single deer that we find. We're not trying to classify them because as we're in late January, a lot of bucks have already lost their antlers. But then is what we do is for every group of deer that we see, we also assign, you know, we use the term covariates, right? But these different variables that are that are in place, like uh, how much snow cover is there, how much timber cover, what's the vegetation type that they're in? Is it grass? Is it mixed shrub? Is it is it um, aspen? Is it a conifer? You know, pine tree cover, that sort of thing. And then are the animals walking, running, or standing when you saw them? And all that feeds into this survey, and basically is what it enables you to do. When you're all done is you can calculate a coefficient which is basically like a multiplier and it says hey we think we have this many deer and we get a pretty tight statistics around it so it gives us a lot of confidence in the in the number that we get and it really anchors those models it really helps validate our population estimates and so we put a lot of stock into the the data that comes out of these surveys and um but boy they're they're kind of expensive so we can't afford to do it all the time everywhere Awesome, Justin. Thank you so much. You guys hang tight. We'll be back in just a few minutes to talk more about the process of how we set those licenses right here on Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Mike, you're listening to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. My Country 95.5. Welcome back to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Justin Benfit, Janet Millick from Game and Fish is with us today. All right, Janet, so we have collected data. And now what's the process after these flights? We still have so much 
to consider, right? We have the winter that has played out. And now in Wyoming, a lot of, although this winter has been a little bit more severe, a lot of our winter is more mild and then has shifted to a little bit harsher spring. So we, some of our stuff is getting a little bit later that we have to kind of change our license structure that, that we're issuing. And so that's why we always put out these preliminary numbers. And then once our commission sees everything and makes that decision, usually at our April commission meeting, we have until May 1st to get all of that information out to hunters. So even though we have the models, we have the numbers, we can make those issuance on licenses. We still have the ability to change that depending on what happens. And we look at so many things. Yeah. And so another another part of it, Drew, is like, let's just take the mule deer example we've been using. So, you know, we have two types of hunting in Wyoming. We have limited quota and general hunting. And so in a case of like where we're flying these sightability surveys right now, south of Casper, we don't have a number of tags we issue. Is what it'll do in that case is rather than say, oh, we're going to release more or less tags we may become more or less liberal or conservative on the season, like longer season length or, you know, we have a three point or better season out there right now. Maybe we would pull that if we had more bucks and, you know, have it just be antler deer and that sort of thing. So versus when you get to limited quota, then you're talking about either, you know, cutting or increasing or staying the same with your license numbers. And so biologists also have to really consider public opportunity too, Drew. So when they look at the calendar every year, they have to incorporate, gosh, you know, is this going to be a weekend, one weekend that it's only open? Is it a whole month that it's open? Is it open over the holidays? Because, you know, there's data to kind of show how many animals are going to be harvested in an area and when. And so so we kind of make sure to look at, you know, providing the public with the most opportunity that we can and still manage the population. Your focus this time was on mule deer. Will you uh, focus on antelope, say, next season and then elk the year after? Or is there really a set way that you guys go about that? It's a good question. So with this new mule deer monitoring package, we're going to focus on mule deer in at least a, one or two of the herds every year for these sightability surveys, but we still have a real need to collect that same kind of similar data with elk and antelope. And so like with elk, you know, we'll do another, we'll do a really big sightability elk flight in the Laramie Peak country again next winter. We just can't afford to do them all at the same time. And, um, and then, you know, we have some issues in the Black Hills where we need to dedicate some money. And then when we do those classification surveys, like I was talking about for, for mule deer in November, for antelope, we actually do that before the season in August. Um, and that's because antelope, you know, and they'll lose a lot of their horn sheaths and stuff come November anyway. And they're, and they're bunched up in these big groups. So we actually do that before the season. We do that from the ground, but then we do a similar thing to sightability for antelope, except they're called line transect flights. And we do those in May every year. And that's where we fly this grid pattern in a herd it helps you get a good density estimate throughout your whole hunt area. And we do that in May because those antelope are breaking up and they're having fawns. And so they're not in these big, huge groups and they're more randomly spread on the landscape. And then you have a really good green backdrop with spring green up and that sort of thing. And so it allows us to get pretty good population estimates on antelope that way. And so Drew, I wanna make it very clear um, to the question that you asked, while we are talking about this sightability survey, which is above and beyond our normal work, 
for mule deer this year, all of the surveys go on every year. So this, what we're talking about now um, with these citability surveys is just above and beyond our normal counting for for the year. So it's, a, it's an ongoing uh, process to, you know, even before the meetings begin in April, you know, you guys have already been working almost a year to get the numbers correct. Absolutely. And Drew, just like we're going to hammer out again, the public is a critical, critical part of that. And I know everyone always says, I'm not going to go to those meetings. I'm not going to give input because they don't listen to us anyway. Well, we do listen. It might not always change the numbers and the science, but we do listen and it does make a difference. So check stations, harvest surveys, coming to public meetings are all just as a huge critical part. So we just really encourage people to keep that in mind. And we're here to listen at any time. And when we get closer to March, we'll uh, we'll talk more about those those public meetings. Absolutely. Keep your eyes open. Filming, hooking and hunting outdoors. My country, 95.5. Ice fishing is upon us, Brian. Man, we've got lots of uh, fishing tournaments and fishing opportunities over the next month or two. Yeah, and we've had uh, really pretty good ice for, especially this time of year. We've had some good cold weather, and uh, we've got the Hog Derby just around the corner. Now, we've been talking uh, about the Hog Derby and Pathfinder, and, and Game and & Fish has said the ice is great up there, and there may be uh, some other things going on with that. They're getting prepared to go this week, so we encourage you to go over and check out their Facebook page. It's the uh, the Hog Derby Ice Fishing Tournament on Facebook. It's simple to find, and you'll... Uh, You'll get more information there. Yeah, I think the Pathfinder Boat Club has a uh, Facebook page also that does have some of that information on it as well. So when folks are, are heading out, and I've talked to a couple of people that have been fishing up at Pathfinder, and last week they didn't get anything. They sat out, sat there all day and didn't catch a fish, they said. <laughs> I, he said it was just a slow bite, but then the weekend before, they were catching fish like crazy. Yeah, I think it was kind of slow for the guys over at uh, Boysen, so uh, as well. So it might have just been weather patterns or you know moon phase or whatever whatever was going on. But um, yeah, I've heard some pretty good reports on Pathfinder, especially on the trout side of things. You know, a lot of good three to five pound trout. The guys that are moving and kind of know what they're doing on the walleyes are you know catching a lot of those small ones for sure. So here in the store, you guys have a great section that is all ice fishing from uh, little uh, ice huts to sleds and all the rods and reels and baits. Yep, propane heaters, uh, the propane, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, tip-ups, uh, you name it, ice augers, uh, everything's uh, moving pretty good. You know, one of the things that very important that you did mention is the heaters, especially when we get to the points where we're at negative degrees. I mean, to be out sitting on ice... In negative negative temperatures, it's always smart to have that extra warmth. Yeah, I was talking to a buddy today, and you know, it's uh, the the cold's not really the problem, especially when you're in uh, you know one of those ice ice shelters and you got a heater going. You know, sometimes it's like a little sweat lodge in there. Yeah. Uh, it's it's the wind. You know, if we can keep the wind off your backs, um, you know, it makes things a lot more enjoyable. Which obviously, having the proper clothing will help you out big there too, because if you have the uh, the wind cutting clothes and and the the clothes are insulated, really does a, a big difference. Yeah, you know, when you're ice fishing, a good pair of, like, muck boots or um, bogs boots, something that's going to be waterproof. So when you're drilling those holes and you pull that auger up through the ice and it, and it pulls that water up through there, you know, you want to stay dry. And then you want to definitely be layering up because, you know, you, you might be uh, – 
pulling a sled, you know, 100, 200 yards out to the ice. And, you know, you're going to heat up pretty quick and then start sweating. So you want to be able to um, layer up so you can take some clothes off. So if you're spending some time out there and maybe you're going to camp up there, there's still people that are brave enough to go out and, and uh, you know, brave the negative degrees. Maybe you're going to need to cook something up there and eat. Yeah, you know, uh, I think there's a couple different organizations that are going to be up there at the Hog Derby uh, this next week. And uh, HD Outdoors is taking a, a good uh, amount of, I think there's 20 or so veterans that are going to be up there. And they're they're going to get up there and drill a bunch of holes. And then the North Platte Walleye Club also has a, an outing. And they're, they're coming with their tra- ice trailer. And they've got um, tip-ups and jigging rods and augers. And uh, they usually uh, put together a little feed, do a, a, a chili, uh, burgers and chilies uh, during the day. So if you see that North Platte Walleye trailer, I mean, stop by and say hey and maybe get some tips and maybe a bowl of chili. One of the things that I, I love about the, the Hog Derby is, sure, you know, there's prizes given out, but really it's more of a big uh, – fun festival where you know everybody's out there there's all kinds of organizations like you're mentioning uh and it's kind of more of a fun atmosphere than a tournament it's like a little community on ice out there you know and everybody's willing to kind of help each other you know respect each other's space when you're drilling holes and setting up camp but it's an awfully big lake and there's there's plenty of places to fish so check it out again go check out their facebook page the hog derby uh or the pathfinder boat club and you'll be able to figure it all out and and check that out and make sure you stop in here to get all your license and everything before you head up because that's really important this time of year too hooking and hunting outdoors on my country 95.5 we're back wyoming is a great place for outdoors and we have been talking about uh, hunting and fishing and um, brian really there's not a time when you can't get out and do something uh because you can start fishing for walleye and and trout as soon as the ice melts off right but i'm not doing anything today four degrees is just uh (laughs) a little little too cold for me to do anything other than stay home and uh, make green chili you know i really (laughs) admire the people that go out and ice fish when it's below zero temperatures and you know most of the time they're in those little huts but still it's you got to go outside at some point oh yeah and you know the the cold definitely you know puts a little strain on everything equipment you know uh, even tip-ups you know guys got to kind of prep those properly make sure they're lubricated with with something that's not going to gel up or freeze up on them um you know and having your vehicles your propane bottles if you got a propane auger you know you got to keep those propane tanks you know somewhat because it is a liquid uh otherwise your propane auger might not fire up so there's definitely some challenges with the with the colder weather when we talk about that how cold is too cold for propane boy that that's above my pay grade i don't, I don't know <laughs> you know i don't have a propane auger but it is it is definitely one of those challenges and and really it's kind of a it's, it can be a challenge now for uh guys that are running like uh, the uh, lithium batteries um on their uh, hand augers you know right. so you've got like the strike masters or the um a couple different versions of augers that just attach to your brushless like milwaukee batteries or your drills and uh you know if, if you don't keep those somewhat you know warm climate maybe at least in your truck yeah um you know you're gonna you know eliminate the number of holes you're gonna be able to drill which I, we've been talking a lot about that if you're someone that goes out and drill one hole and then complain about not catching anything there's a reason 
Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I hear a lot of guys here at the store coming through and they're like, oh, yeah, I was at Pathfinder and, you know, I sat there all day and didn't catch anything. And I'm like, well, did you move? Well, well, no, it was too cold. We didn't, you know, we didn't do, we didn't drill any more holes. And it's like, man, it's like, you know, it, it, doing the same thing over and over, you know, it just, you know, kind of, you know, makes you think about what the heck you're really doing. So, you know, don't be afraid to go shallower, go deeper, look for some structure. If you've got, you know, one, one hole that's producing and it's at 20 feet, then maybe a you take your your the rest of your tip ups and you, you find that twenty foot edge and you start fishing that edge line a little more uh, aggressively. But yeah, I mean the guys that are effective are guys that are, that are moving around and you know if you're not checking tip ups to me like every forty five minutes to an hour, you gotta sometimes wake up that minnow if that's what you're fishing with, you know, and right. and make sure it's still alive and that a fish didn't strip it off your hook. And uh, you know a, a live minnow is a pretty pretty inexpensive overall and it's it's better to have live bait than than dead bait. You had mentioned minnows if that's what you're fishing what's the the big bait right now that you've heard i know you you guys carry minnows here at rocky mountain but yeah you know i think majority of people like running minnows um you know everything eats a minnow you know i mean just put a steak in front of us there's not very many of us that don't eat a steak right mm -hmm. um usually like on tip-ups we'll what i'll typically do is you know, i'll put four or five tip-ups out with a minnow on there um, maybe I'll throw a, a, a maggot or a mealworm on, on one just for something different, but I'll keep one, one rod available um, so I can just sit there and jig, and I'll keep changing out my lure. You know, I'll run a jigging wrap for a little bit, maybe a shiver minnow, maybe I'll run a cast master. Um, I'll just change out different presentations. And What about colors? Overcast a lot these days with snow coming in and everything, so are they different? Or are you going bright colors? For ice fishing, I mean, the, the, the ice obviously kind of cuts down the, the amount of reflection and sun that's going through anyways and if mm -hmm. there's snow on top of the ice you're getting even less um a lot of guys typically like anything with a glow pattern you know um there's a lot of a lot of good different options out there there's tungsten jigs that have good glow patterns uh, all the shiver minnows well most of the shiver minnows are have glow there's um, a lot of good options and so just just a white glow a chartreuse glow uh, green glow the, those are those are kind of your more common colors but um, I mean you just never know until you until you go right I mean, and and like you said where you change it out if you're not catching anything after mm -hmm. 20 30 minutes change it out for a different color and it's it's a hassle i mean you know i mean do you get it you know my hands are cold you gotta you yeah. take a snap or retie a line that kind of stuff but you know the guys that that put the time in and the effort in you know they're the ones that are that are usually more successful which you know obviously here in in casper and in the surrounding areas fishing is so huge so you mm -hmm. could go into any shop and just kind of ask people what they're what they're seeing to, right. to kind of get some some inside scoop that's always good to just kind of look at the shelf and see what uh, products are missing and which which ones have low quantities of product you know it's when there's a hot bite you know a lot of times you know their buddy told another buddy and pretty soon the peg's empty yeah so uh, just watching and kind of seeing what sizes and maybe what colors and patterns and of course as we've been talking about uh taking what you catch especially if it's those medium to small size walleye up there on uh, pathfinder don't be afraid there's not a size limit there uh, there is a possession limit of course but don't be afraid to you know keep some 12 to 15 inch fish i mean there's an overabundance of those those smaller ones and uh there's just the the lake just doesn't have the the forage base to really help those fish get any bigger so by thinning some of those smaller walleyes out it does help those other fish grow bigger when you're catching those walleyes this time of year, are you cooking them and are they tasting the same as they do in the summer? Delicious. Yeah? 
<laughs> good now, good then, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's been, they're they're pretty good all year round. You know, sometimes, you know, with the trout, you know, you start hearing stories about s- trout getting soft in the summer months where their water temperatures start heating up, especially on uh, you know, on some of the river systems where the water's not real deep and it's not doesn't stay very cold. But uh, yeah, this the cold wa- water, especially at Pathfinder, pretty much year round. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have great taste in fish. It's like having fish on ice all the time, all day. <laughs> Get out here and check them out before you head out to uh, any of the derbies you're going to do or maybe just heading out for a family uh, fishing trip. Stop in here Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. Big show coming up next week. If you missed any of this show or previous shows hit us up in the My Country 95.5 app on demand.